Welcome to Heavy Strategy, where we strive to ask questions and discuss them, but we're not necessarily here to provide you with answers. In today's sponsored show, we are talking with Jason Keller, who is the CEO and founder from Collide, about honest security and what it means for cybersecurity practitioners and their teams. Now, Collide makes an endpoint security tool, but it's a little bit different. So when I went to try and research it, I couldn't distill it down. So what I'm going to do is throw over to Jason. Jason, give me the elevator pitch. Give me the 60-second pitch on what Collide does. Collide is basically an endpoint security product, but instead of locking down the device or surveilling the end user, we gather what I call ground truth from the endpoint, and that's Mac, Windows, and Linux. We figure out what's wrong with the device. Are they Is the end user violating any policies? Are they doing something that could actually cause the company harm? And then we message those end users on Slack. We give them information about what they're doing wrong, why it may be a really big issue, and then we give them step-by-step instructions on how to fix it. And then within the Slack message themselves, they can actually click a button that says, I fixed it. Can you just double check that I did it right? They do that. And then we say, yep, you got it exactly right. And then you're off to the next thing. That's that's Collide. That sounds like what you're actually doing is empowering the users and engaging them, which as I, you know, as I would say, runs exactly counter to what most cybersecurity teams do, which is, as one of my CISO buddies likes to put it, treat the carbon-based units, the CBUs, <laughs> as the greatest vulnerability in the environment. Do right. I have that right? Yeah, and and that's actually, you know, I was a security practitioner, incident responder for the majority of my career, and that was core principle that I learned as well, right? Like, as soon as you introduce a human being to the equation, uncertainty is introduced, and now we have to combat that uncertainty with locking things down, surveilling that person and the devices that they're on. And uh, that is a valid strategy, right? It's the one that we've been using for decades, but it actually prevents us from using a different strategy. And that's one where we can actually leverage the talents and capabilities of the people that we've hired, you know, supposedly people that we're paying money, you know, we've vetted and we want them to actually solve very nuanced and contextually difficult problems that, you know, perhaps the security team isn't in the best position to fully understand. And Collide is a type of product that really embraces those really nuanced problems. So like a good example of that would be Let's say you have a lot of developers working at your company, people that are software engineers. Well, they typically do a lot of things that are really challenging for the security team to reason through. Like, for example, the ability for them to like authenticate to a, a server, right? Using maybe an SSH key. Hmm. Well, they're probably generating SSH keys on their device. Those SSH keys may not have any encryption on them, right? They're just going to the command line, they're setting them up. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have what are effectively passwords on the device. And so how does a security team member really deal with that from an automation and surveillance perspective? Well, it's really it's really difficult, right? You can't go in and just delete the SSH keys because now you might be revoking really critical access that will really upset the software engineer. You can't say, oh, you're not allowed to generate SSH keys unless they're encrypted. You can say that, but are people gonna actually listen? Mm. You need to actually have a conversation with the end user. You need to be able to do that at scale in an automated fashion. And so that's exactly what Collide but it, does. But it we, also we, has to be followed up. The SSH right. keys need to be rotated. You don't want to use the same SSH key for 20 years. Or it's very difficult to revoke an SSH key across a large estate. And so you need to go back to them and say, have you refreshed the certificate lately? Or have you regenerated and, and all that type of stuff? You're exactly right. And mm-hmm. in order to do that effectively, you need to be able to reach out to a person 
that's really responsible for that access, the person who is accessing it, and then you need to convey that information at the point when it is most valuable for them to hear it hmm. instead of in a big training PowerPoint that you give them on their first day of work and then going to maybe maybe 10% of it and then it's all going to go out the window. So that's really what we're advocating for at Collide and what I've advocated for in what we call our honest security guide. And the reality is, is that we want to help companies set up an environment where they can get a new superpower and that's end users helping them on the battlefield to solve really nuanced security issues. I was looking at your website and and particularly I was looking at your honest.security principles, which we'll talk more about. But one of the things that I really liked about the Collide product is you're actually in a funny sort of a way, enabling the features that are actually built into the operating systems, which is kind of a recognition that most operating systems have screen locks, updates, they have firewalls, they have password managers, they have disk encryption. And a lot of security tools spend a lot of time and energy just doing that for the user. But what you're saying is you can just ask the user to do it and then check if they did. Correct. And there's a couple of different um, reasons why we think that that's a better approach for the majority of things. Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue that every single thing that you could lock down, you know, you shouldn't lock down. There are certainly things like disk encryption and should the firewall be on? Like if you have an MDM and you mm. want to enable those things programmatically and enforce them, we're not saying don't do that. What we are saying though, is that you are going to have employees that fundamentally sometimes need to violate these very black and white rules that you're setting you have two options. Number one is you can just pretend that that's not happening and then just let them figure it out. And now you're going to have situations where that software engineer, you know, that knowledge worker is going to say, all right, I need to do something. I'm physically unable to do it on the device because it's locked down. So what do I do? Do I file a, a ticket with IT support to get like a special exception? Yeah. 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 That's exactly the word I was reaching for. Uh, or do I swivel my chair 35 degrees to the right and just pick up my personal laptop and just get her done, right? Yeah. Like that's it's really the choice that a lot of these knowledge workers face, especially now in a remote world where they're working from home, they have immediate access to their personal devices, which are usually very capable. They're usually Macs or something they've spent a lot of money on. They're quite often and, better than the corporately issued ones. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know. So how do we as security practitioners and IT practitioners prevent that from happening, right? Mm. Because as soon as that has occurred, now it's it's the end of the game, right? We've lost, we mm. now don't know what's going on. Now data is now going onto a device that we don't manage, that we don't have any surveillance on, and now we're in really big trouble. So how do we prevent that? We try to treat the end users like adults. We give them as much authority uh, and agency over that device as we can. But you're also not interfering with the user's thing, right? So the user can use the tool to do the things that they need to do, but you're not preventing them from getting work done. So, so many times I was given a laptop out there in the world and I was expected to perform at some sort of, you know, create content. But by the time I turned the laptop on and the security and the disk encryption and the, the tool was unusable, there's a certain amount of function. There is, a, as you say, there's a balance right. here, but you can do a lot of, you can get 80-20 rule here. You, you can probably cover 80% of what needs to be done with what you're doing here alone just by empowering the user. Believe that that's the case. And now we know that. I mean, that was the theory, the thesis yeah. in which we built the Collide product. You know, it really was. It was a thesis. We didn't know if it would truly work. And what's really kind of, I think, fundamentally... You know, we launched this product in 2019 
and there was no prior art for us to solve this problem. And we had to learn the right way to engage the end users really from scratch because this just isn't done in the IT and security space. And we had to, you know, for lack of a better word, trailblaze, I think, a lot of techniques to convince users to do things that, um, you know, they take a little bit of time. You take a couple minutes out of your day. And how do you establish mm. that initial relationship so that their first interaction with us, you know, our product isn't us like bursting into the room and saying like, hey, your computer's all messed up. And like, they're like, who are you? Like, how did you get so, in my house? So Jason, I want to push on that point a little bit. There's a couple of points that you raised that I think are great. You could say Collide is about security that engages the end user first, um, which I think is great. Uh, the second thing that I thought was really interesting and I want to make sure it doesn't get lost in the rush was uh, the fact that you provide feedback contextually. Hey, are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Did you really want to do this? As opposed to, as you said, in a PowerPoint training session on the first day of work when they'll forget right. it. So I think those two things that in, about engaging the end user and bringing the engage, making the engagement contextual are great. But I'm going to push back from the standpoint of a security practitioner and ask you to answer this from the standpoint of a security practitioner, which is you talk about giving the end user agency and Security practitioners think of end users, carbon-based units, CBUs, as a threat vector. So when you talk about giving the end user agency, it's roughly up there with giving a toddler a gun. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. You don't want to do it. How do you overcome that general sentiment? We often in encounter that resistance, right? I mean, this is a big change for, for many practitioners. The first thing that uh, I think w the pandemic has really helped us make that bitter pill easier to swallow. And it's exactly what I said earlier. You may buy Collide and really fundamentally still believe the end users are your number one security risk, but you have to recognize that the playing field has completely changed in the last two years. If you don't yes. give them the ability to do their job on their computer, which is not an easy problem to really fully even articulate or solve, you have to be as open as possible. They are going to use their personal computers. And well, that's like I, I want to push back on yeah. that right now because I don't like that as a positioning uh, as a positioning for the product. And I don't like that as a, as a theory, because as a security practitioner, first thing I'm going to do is say, oh, hell, they won't and set up my system so that it's not possible to gain access via personal computers. And in fact, a lot of my clients have already done that. So I don't think it's a good thing to say hey, you better use this technology or the end users will do an end run around you because what it sets up is the dynamic that the cybersecurity folks say, I won't let them. And it perpetuates the dynamic I think you're trying to break down. I <laughs> will push back on your pushback because okay. I think that we've been trying this approach of we need to add more surveillance, more control over these endpoints, but fundamentally they are in physical possession of the hardware. They have the ability unless you know even if you've disabled the you know the usb port you know they are going to be able to get data off of that device onto a different device well and given that a lot of my clients tend to be defense folks um i'll push back <laughs> on your pushback on my pushback but nonetheless <laughs> point taken i do want to circle back though to my my main point which is you talk about the fact that you know essentially you need to start to learn to trust the users and then you brought in remote work, which I think is a great example. The mm -hmm. problem is fundamentally, 
a lot of the pushback to remote work is simply because people don't trust the users and want to bring them back into the house. And, you know, I want to be able to stand over their backs because I don't trust them to be doing work remotely. So there's a dynamic that's bigger than cybersecurity that says don't trust your people. So how do you overcome that above and beyond saying here's what happens if you don't because the, the, the pushback to that is going to be, well, you know, try me. I'll talk right. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, and I think that for every company, by the way, you know, the advice and the strategy that we are conveying or that I'm conveying at least isn't for every single organization you mentioned, Department of Defense contractors and things like that. Everybody has a slightly different risk profile and you have different contractual obligations. You might be dealing with very sensitive intellectual property. You may have nation states after you. If those things truly apply to you and you're really worried about insider threat, something like honest security may not be the right fit and that's okay you should be able to find the right tools and the right strategy for your circumstances. But I uh, wager, and I believe that most organizations aren't facing, I think, the the specific exceptions that I just mentioned. And they typically have a bunch of knowledge workers. They have a lot of folks that have to use their computer in a remote context on a daily basis. They're interacting with you know sensitive information that if it were to leak would be really, really damaging for the company, but not necessarily going to lose wars or anything like that. In that context, you have to really think about what is the most likely thing that could happen in your organization? Is it going to be that you're going to hire a slew of bad actors in your organization? And do you really want to gear up to defend against that? Or is it more likely that you're going to hire really great people that have reasonable, good faith intent to do their job, but are going to make mistakes. They're humans. They're going to make errors. And those errors um, can be prevented or mitigated with on-the-spot training at the moment that they occur. And if you believe that the latter is more likely, which I think is true for most organizations, then you want yeah. to give enough rope to those end users so they can actually commit the mistakes. So if you suddenly find that the disk encryption is gone or the screen lock's not turned on. You alert them and say, the screen lock's not turned on. And of course, they're going to say, I'm doing something at the moment. I'm running something and I'm on the other side of the room and I need to see it run. But but you're not avoiding the fact right. um, that if they forget to do it, you're just going to remind them again later. But you're also going to report up to security and say, the screen lock on this person's computer has been... Un this is a trivial use case. But if the screen lock has been disabled, right. you may need to intervene. So in that sense, it's like an MDM. Do you meet the compliance? Yes, no. There's still a compliance angle here, right? Right. There is a compliance angle here. And um, I've always shied away from mm. compliance with a capital C because I think it's very superficial, right? We all have to deal with compliance. SOC 2 is one of the largest drivers for business for us. But we want to get people beyond that checkbox. We really want people to start reasoning about what are the things I dream about or have nightmares about at night that really could end my company and fundamentally why don't i have any tools or capabilities to actually detect that those things are occurring and then reach out to people and train them and be like stop it like stop doing yeah. it you're gonna <laughs> don't disable the antivirus because it's getting in the way of you pushing something you know into you know Jason, I just have to laugh because when you talk about what people have nightmares about, I actually had a nightmare two nights ago about a sentient <laughs> coffee maker. Don't even <laughs> I just had to say that. That said, I mean, that could be a security breach as well if it were an intelligent one. 
I want to come back to the compliance angle, though, because, you know, you said earlier you didn't really think everybody was at risk from nation state attacks. Actually, I've written quite a bit to the effect of everybody is, although I will take your main point, which is some people are way more than others. But one of the things I find really interesting about your approach is that regardless of whether you trust the users or not, what you've generated is a log. So if you actually are afraid of in insider threat, that doesn't necessarily mean not to use Collide because one of the things Collide will give you is an auditable record of what people have done and what steps you've taken to countervene that, which is actually super useful because you can kind of go back and say, okay, this person we didn't trust did all these things and then hit our non-automated human-powered uh, SecOps and we have a track record of every interaction with this person. And this is why we feel that they've actually, you know, done bad things. And I think that's actually very powerful because one of the questions a lot of times with insider threat is, have you attempted to disambiguate honest mistakes from malevolent behavior? And if you, you can point to a record that says, yes, as a matter of fact, we did, I think that's actually helpful. That's our, you know, our future vision as well as we want to create that record because we think it's an incredibly useful record to have in other contexts when the user is doing things like authenticating, right? Exactly. And I think that right now, when we look at some of the solutions that are trying to bring device trust into the authentication process, the bar is very mm -hmm. low for what <laughs> is really a trust yes. device. It's really, is it on the MDM or do we even have yeah. its serial number in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere? Okay, it looks like we bought this laptop. So come right in, everybody. Like, let's have a party. I, I wish you were making it up, but that is so true. That's one of the number one questions I get from my cybersecurity practitioner clients is, how do I find out what devices are in my enterprise and what their configuration is? Is there a tool that lets me do that? And there are many tools, but n not any, as you said earlier, with the ability to to actually engage the end user in the process and start to establish a log and a record of all the interactions. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking, you don't really talk about this on your site, but what you're doing is shining a spotlight on something we as an industry have never really captured, which is the state of the interaction between the user and the cybersecurity controls. So if you think about it, we're all out there. We have a we don't have a feedback loop. We we set a bunch of controls, and in many cases, people will say, "I want to set these controls and have minimal impact on the user." Great, we decide what the controls are, but there's no feedback loop that says this is the impact on the user, and now you're giving that. Right, exactly, and that's why we have so many of these interactions in Slack because Slack naturally mm -hmm. leads to a conversation, and a conversation goes both ways. And an end user pushing back on a control may actually lead to the IT or security practitioner learning something really, really important about how certain types of work that are high risk to the organization actually get done. Like, how is the sausage actually made in the back room? And wow, I didn't even realize this. That means yeah, I need to yeah. go and build more checks to look for this stuff. I wasn't even aware of that. And now we have an advocate sitting at the other end of that computer not someone frustrated and looking to work around the security team as if they are an adversary. And that's what we want to avoid. There's somebody out there with an Excel spreadsheet pulling data directly from the core database and nobody knew, right? And that's the sort of thing. I mean, I was looking at doing exactly. the research here and you you actually get into some really interesting things like Chrome extensions. You can find GitHub 2FA, uh, 
fallback tokens like you know when your thing is you discover them and then say to people yes. hey look we found these you know fallback tokens that you shouldn't have in a plain text text file on your hard disk and like and chrome plugins are notoriously unsafe but everybody uses chrome right and Chrome is such a great example because it is such a great opportunity for the security mm. team to help an end user about a risk that may not actually even be a risk to the organization, but is a risk to the person, right? You have all of these Chrome extensions that are sort of like in this weird space of, yeah, they're providing a little bit of value, but they're just siphoning off my browser right. history, selling it yeah. to a nation state or an ad network. It may not necessarily be the worst risk in the world for the company, not the top priority. But if we can say, hey, this is something that we know through our own research is bad, and we're gonna like let you know, and we're gonna teach you how to get rid of it, you've just had a really positive interaction with an end user. Yeah. You've gotten their back and something that they don't normally expect the, the security team to have. And now you guys are on the same team, and that's like such a wonderful opportunity. If your users are engaged, strategically your help desk will have less work to do because otherwise they'll just say you do a help desk i just want to use my computer whereas if you're throwing the work on the people they start there's a positive feedback loop although some of their time will now be spent doing administrative work but it's also about people who the the, the analogy i often say to people is if you know nothing about cars and it breaks down in the middle of the road you're nowhere but if you know whether you can get in and drive it while it's broken, then okay, right. right? If it's just a bad noise, you can just keep going till you get to the next garage, right? And basically with cars as with um, yeah. computers these days, <laughs> you just increase. have to try to reboot it. But I, you know, <laughs> I do like the idea, and I'm thinking out loud here, but you all, well, a couple of things. First of all, one is that given the fact that you're scratching the itch that so many of my clients have, have I am happily going to be recommending to my clients that they, you know, take a look at Collide. I don't always say this, but this is absolutely something that I think is is relevant. If people are in the process of building out their three to five year cybersecurity strategy, architecture and roadmap, how would Collide being part of that change potentially the strategy and roadmap that they're putting together? And before you answer, one of the things that bubbled up and might give you a sense of what I'm talking about is you could potentially ratchet down on the amount of security awareness training that you have to do because it's it's now handled in an automated fashion, in a contextual fashion. And that may be one thing to think about, but how else might you affect the cybersecurity strategy? At least most of the customers that we interact with, they're looking to spend a significant amount of money in the next two to three years to really start looking into initiatives like Zero Trust. Some of our clients don't even have um, MDM at all, and they're looking to get just basic management in there. They're looking to get their first EDR tool. So how do all these things really fit together into a cogent, coherent strategy? Um, and our our future goal is to really be part of that identity and access management portion of that strategy, right? So got it. most companies are really thinking about SSO. We think that's a mm. natural choke point to really start you know, interacting with end users when they're when they're actually authenticating to a really sensitive service. Where you should think about Collide is it is the gut check on all the other things that you believe are true. Mm -hmm. Is CrowdStrike running on the device? Is Jamf, you know, the MDM provider working properly on this device? And plus, what are the other things that neither of those tools are good about solving? Like two-factor mm -hmm. backup codes, are they in the downloads folder? Does someone have a production database backup? Uh, all over their desktop? Are they you know, doing sun something fundamentally that puts the company at risk? Those are things that not only we can detect, but we have a remediation strategy that is excellent, which is to reach out to the end user and get them to fix it, where 
all the other tools in their toolbox really can't help them with that because there really is one no the, automated way to deal I, with that problem. One of the things I love about that, frankly, is that so many organizations talk about how we want to do more security, we want to improve our security stance, but we also need to make life easier for the users. And I think from a strategic perspective, this is something that checks that box. If somebody says, well, our strategy is to make you know security effective and seamless and transparent, the answer, Collide is part of the answer on that. And I think that's a huge thing because that is an explicit part of a lot of cybersecurity strategies. And so I think the best way to think about Collide, especially as we get into next year and we start you know, continuing to execute on our roadmap, is Collide is really going to be the broker between is this device a trusted device and the intersection between that and the user that's behind it? How much intelligence can we give you in an authentication mm -hmm. situation? How much visibility can we give you into some of these more nuanced problems? And can we give you a new, as I mentioned before, superpower to solve some of the most yeah. nuanced challenges in your company? And that's how you should think about Collide. I, I really like the fact too that you're, all of the platforms are First Nation. So you're as up to date on Linux as you are on Mac, as you are on Windows. Whereas a lot of these tools that do this sort of stuff are just Windows only because that's where the enterprise is. Again, what you're saying is that there's a there's a core group of people. There's a small group of people in your organization that sit outside your policy. So by covering all the ground, you're really not excluding anybody. And you have to be that way, right? Like we couldn't look people in the face and say, yeah, we have this great solution. And uh, hopefully you're 100% yeah. Mac because that's all we're really going to be able to help you with. Yeah. That's just that doesn't reflect that reality. Isn't reality, yeah, yeah. And so we just don't want to build a product that is kind of like a 20% mm. solution. We want something that you're going to feel mm -hmm. conf confident you can deploy everywhere. Um, and Linux, there's so many people that have so much access in the company, and they're running Linux, and it may not be in terms of pure quantity or major percentage of the employees are running Linux, but certainly the people that are running Linux. <laughs> typically have a lot yeah. of the keys to the kingdom. So we need to get visibility yeah. there. The people who are let's, running Linux are probably do doing it. something mission critical or something that's really important in the corner. And I, I also like right. that you are, have a website called honest.security where you put out a sort of a set of principles about how you approached endpoint security. And I think it makes really interesting reading because what you're saying here is you want to trust the stuff. You want to talk about setting goals collecting data honesty, educating people with empathy, which is something you've said. But what you're also, the last one I wanted to raise as we get towards the end of the recording is coaching the culture change. I think that's one of the big things here is you're actually coaching everybody, CEO, right the way down to the, you know, the person at the bottom to actually take some sort of ownership for the security culture. Is that hidden away here? Is that really that important? You know, when we do a rewrite of Honest Security, yeah. I think it probably belongs near the top two. Um, we're learning so much about how companies that transition to an honest security mindset is such a major shift, not just for the security team or the IT team, the end users as well, who are just used to just giving away all the responsibility. Like I'm given a computer and I just don't have to really be responsible for it. Like that's, that's the mindset we've sort of set up for them as practitioners in the space in many ways. Like we don't trust you. So let us take care of the whole thing, and um, you know if if it certainly turn if it suddenly turns off that that means you did a really bad thing. But we need to change that, and we need to start building security awareness and responsibility into the cultures of these organizations. And if you're someone who is just fundamentally unwilling to participate in that, then maybe you don't belong at that company. Like I'm willing to say that that strongly that you should. You're, do, you're dealing with data that's very sensitive. We've made promises to our customers that we're going to safeguard X, Y, and Z. 
if you're not willing to participate in that then I I don't think that you should work there. Yeah, I and I would just add to this and reiterate, I think one of the things that you stress in Honest Security, and I encourage folks to go look at the website, is part of what we at Nemertis call adaptive leadership training. And the fundamental principle here is that everyone is a leader. You should be able to say to a small team, hey guys, here's the outcome we wish you to accomplish. Here are the resources you can go get access to. Now go do it without having to micromanage and cut everything into tiny little steps and tell people mm. do A, then do B, and confirm right. that you did A before you do B, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You treat, treat people like children, they'll act like children. Treat them like adults. Exactly. Right. But you have to give them the tools. You can't just say, I'm going to trust the team without mm. giving them the tools that allow them to earn that trust. And I think that's huge. And if they don't, I think you're absolutely correct, Jason. There are going to be some people that will just, just as you find when you switch to DevOps, some people don't want that much responsibility. They want to be told. They want, you know, they want to fit in there. They want to be a cog in a wheel. Unfortunately, that's about all that we have time for today. Thanks very much to Collide for sponsoring us today. And thanks very much to Jason for joining us. Jason, if people wanted to get more information about what we talked about today or scratch into the next level, where can they go? So if there's only one website that you go to today, I want it to be Honest Security, the guide that we've been talking about. And the URL is very simple. It's just honest.security. That's the entire URL. If you want to learn more about Collide, which is a product that helps you obtain Honest Security in your organization, you can go to collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com. And if you want to learn more about my rantings and musings around this stuff and just want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at jmeller, J-M-E-L-L-E-R. Well, on that note, thanks so much to Collide for sponsoring today. Without them, we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be able to bring you this content. As always, this is Heavy Strategy, where the questions are probably more interesting than the answers. And if you want more information about the show, head on over to packetpushers.net and get information. If you've got follow-up or questions that you want to send directly to us, go over to packetpushers.net slash FU. Leave your follow-up and we'll get back to you. And uh, if you've got any ideas for the show, what you want to cover, then we can either put you in touch with Jason from Collide or we'll answer you out ourselves.